John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 120.2K0108, certificate number 17742, Bigfoot Hoaxers. Look at it. It's not a person. Look there. I know that you, although a man of science, are uh, a young Earth creationist and also... Um, <laughs> A cryptozoologist. <laughs> Both things. Like, yeah. they're not mutually exclusive at all. But they do sync up with one another. Well, right. Because you have to say, well, were there two um, Mothmans on the Noah's Ark? <laughs> exactly. And obviously there was. There was Mothman and Mothwoman. How many chupacabras were on Noah's Ark? Or I guess you could believe that all the cryptozoological phenomena are like the one antediluvian remnant you know that there were that there were not two jersey devils on noah's ark and therefore one jersey devil survived the flood sitting on a tree branch right and has now and his one journey (laughs) jersey devil bouncing on the bed (laughs) and somehow has survived for the last uh oh shoot i don't know how old the flood is supposed to be in my cosplay six thousand years six thousand years yeah uh well the jersey devil could be uh like spontaneously reproducing right it could be Asexually reproducing. Here's what happens. The Jersey Devil has a ethical decision to make. Yes. A tiny Jersey angel appears on one shoulder, uh-huh. and a tiny Jersey Devil appears on the other shoulder. At that moment, he drops dead, and all his good intentions die with him, but the little Jersey Devil oh, grows up to replace. Survives. Well, wait, would the other one be a Jersey angel? It's a Jersey Devil angel. A Jersey Devil angel. It's as angelic right. as a Jersey Devil can be. It's still got all the Jersey Devil stuff, but it has a little halo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't that actually something like something out of a Bugs Bunny cartoon. I don't know what the Jersey Devil looks like, so I'm picturing the NHL mascot, and that can't be what the actual cryptid looks like. I feel like it. It looks like a Tasmanian devil. That's the only other ah, devil ooh, I know. Ooh, ah, ooh, ah. <laughs> don't cryptids look like whatever you want them to look like? Since we can't, by definition, we can't go to the photos. Yeah, I mean, certainly, like a Cthulhu uh, has a has a form. Right, it's a uh, it's an octopus of some kind, but impossible to describe. I see a as lot I of different As I gazed into the depths of the of the ancient well, like words cannot describe the horror that rises in my gorge. Like you know, he never actually says what it looks like. Like what is a chupacabra? It's a it's like a little monkey, or is it a uh, like a, uh, a some kind of a, a badger? Or? It has to suck the blood from goats. Oh, 
Oh, right, right, so right. In theory, it would have to be bigger than a goat. Right. It's shaped like a half of an half an eagle, half badger. It has to have some kind of a goat blood sucking mechanism, like a beak oh. or a, oh, a like a, a, mos- pr- a mosquito proboscis. Yeah. Oh boy, this gets uglier with every telling. But but maybe so the so we've talked about this before. Growing up in the seventies, it was an age where unexplained phenomena were very popular. Uh, the uh, Bermuda Triangle and the Loch Ness Monster. Loch Ness, ne- uh, Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> <laughs> Just say Loch normally and then clear your throat. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and for us here in the Northwest, probably the most popular, almost certainly the, the most widely known American cryptid. Yeah, we have the good one. We have the best one. Everybody else has the the try-hard local one that they try to get on t-shirts. Right. And nobody's, you know, nobody's making John Lithgow movies about uh, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the Mothman or the right. Jersey Devil or whatever. Right. Well, no, not yet. But but you're you're absolutely right that the that our our Bigfoot, our Sasquatch or Sasquatch, depending on who you ask, it's it's, uh, so wait, so have we talked about this before? Some people say Sasquatch and some people say Sasquatch. No, everyone says Sasquatch except me, and I say Sasquatch oh, for I some see. reason. Well, you and probably I get, think it's the more authentic. Yeah, uh, I get teased a lot about the, it. The Coast Salish people would have said Sasquatch. But we had a uh, we had a, a music festival up here called the, and this is why it comes up all the time because I say, well, we were playing at Sasquatch, and people go, "You were playing where? <laughs> Do you mean Sasquatch? Do you say Coachella?" In some authentic Latino Coachella. way. We're going to play Coachella. <laughs> We've never played Coachella, <laughs> so no. But uh, but you're absolutely right that of uh, Bigfoot sightings have happened in every American state, including implausibly Delaware, uh, Rhode Island, places you wouldn't think a Bigfoot could live. Like, having been to Delaware, I'm trying to think of where a Bigfoot would hide. Is he just sitting waiting for the train? I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, there certainly are forests in Delaware and, and un, uh, you know, unpopulated right. areas, but not that many. Not enough to support like a like a breeding population of Bigfeets. Also, if you see kind of like a blurry, hairy guy in... Um in Delaware, like here, if you're in the Cascades, you think, "Hey, I just saw Bigfoot." If you're in Delaware, you probably think, uh, "Oh, he's he's not wearing any clothes. I'm going to call the cops." Yeah, right. It's like what uh, makes it a Bigfoot if it's in Delaware? Some kind of freak scene. Um, I'm not sure, and in you know there are like it seems it seems reasonable that like for instance Nevada would have not very many Bigfoot sightings because most of Nevada doesn't have people but also you could you could see a bigfoot for dozens of miles not a lot of cover right uh, unless you were up there in the mountains with california and california unsurprisingly has a lot of bigfoot sightings but really it's washington state that has the greatest number almost a third of bigfoot sightings come from up here the pacific northwest which leads to two possibilities mm-hmm. either people are more suggestible up here and think that any odd encounter must be a Bigfoot because that's what the culture has taught them to think. Or 
that this is where the Bigfoot actually is, uh-huh. and we're getting all the real ones, and it's the fakes that are in Delaware and Nevada. Well, right, and you could have, I mean, a Bigfoot, a Bigfeets could leave Washington and go up into British Columbia. Is this a story problem? Where, where a Bigfoot <laughs> leaves Washington at a speed of 18 <laughs> miles an hour. 18 footprints an hour. Uh, you could go up into BC and and have um, have wilderness uh, for for uh, like kind of an unlimited wilderness all the way up to to um, the Hudson Bay up till the up till the tundra starts. Yeah, you could probably find an untracked wilderness from the cat from you know an hour from Seattle and follow it all the way to. The Arctic. That would be a very appealing greenbelt for a wow, Bigfoot. That would be a great trip, actually. I feel like I'm that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to do the, in the large footsteps of Bigfoot. But you're saying in wait, the footsteps of giants. <laughs> are you saying BC does not have as many Bigfoot? Oh, sightings? they do. There are a lot of Bigfeets in, uh, and I'm just going to well, keep saying assuming. it in in as cute a way as I can. There are a lot of them in BC too. It may surprise you to learn that. Uh, well, you already. Uh, you already suggested that there are regional big feats, and that's absolutely true. Um, Texas, maybe not surprisingly, can't let other states have their own thing, and so there have been hundreds of sightings of local Bigfoots in Texas. But uh, and I'm sure they're bigger than ours. Oh, Everything's very, bigger. Their feet are bigger. But in fact. Um, Rural Florida, like Swamp Florida, Northern Florida, has its own ancient—not, well, I mean, maybe not ancient, but uh, but like Native American derived uh, local humanoid uh, cryptid called the skunk ape. The skunk ape, and the skunk ape is looks like an ape, smells like a skunk. It smells like a skunk. It's it's a uh, it's not as hairy. It's it's more. It's sleeker and it stinks. It's and also called swamp squatch. The swamp squatch, which I'm into, and uh, it and so much so that it has become kind of a regional mascot. The people up there uh, are very proud of their skunk ape, and uh, and skunk ape's been sighted quite a few times. Well, I always assumed the yeti would have predated any of these American cryptids, just because it's an old world. Phenomenon, but of course, you know it's tricky because the the reports of these usually start with colonial journal keepers, and it's tricky to know which of the indigenous people actually saw stuff and who was just pranking, uh, who was just pranking some white dope. Right, and in the in the Pacific Northwest, there's a lot of there's a lot of evidence, you know, anecdotal evidence that there have been hairy um bipedal humanoids in native tradition oh okay uh occupying kind of the whole northwest and and very interestingly really located around the Mount St. Helens area um even dating all the way back uh the the first um european explorers kind of had the you know heard these stories from the um indigenous people they encountered about like uh cannibalistic uh, super big hairy creatures pr- pr- from people who presumably had never heard of an ape right that's I mean, true your your original your salish here in the in coastal washington wouldn't be 
They would have seen skunks, but not apes. That's right. And these aren't skunk apes. These are seven foot tall our, giants of the forest. Our giants of the forest smell beautiful. They smell like they smell pine needles. Pine needles. Uh, and there, there are a lot of similarities between reports of these, you know, these old Sasquatches and Sasquatches in name actually derived from a, from a Northwest tribe. Meaning? Uh, well, one of the names, actually the Salish name uh, translates as benign faced one. Oh, they're, they're pro Bigfoot. Well, they've, they've seen them closely enough that they have seen their faces and found them to be found their faces to be composed and at rest. Well, I guess that's what you'd, you know, that's the impression I would get from certain old world primates, you know, the apes of Borneo, or, you know, you see an orangutan and you think, look at this placid, like human-like consciousness, right? Yeah, although that doesn't quite uh, equip with the idea that they're cannibals. Oh, yeah. Um, Maybe, Maybe they're just full. There, you know, mm, right, and then and then they, they ate just, half the village, and then man, he was just serene. The tryptophan that's uh, that's in the, <laughs> the original native inhabitants. He was chill AF after some, he ate uh, right, just, several old women. But the uh, and, you know, and 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 they have similar behaviors, right? There's a there's a kind of a commonality in the sense that they are. They are heard to be knocking. Wait, what? Uh, on this is stumps. the thing about Bigfoot, they just knock on things. They communicate by knocking on on logs. Although you know, also woodpeckers do that, right. and Tr- other tree things. branches bump each other. And then you would say, you knock, would tell your knock. kids, "Oh, that must be the the Sasquatch of the forest." But big feats uh, also are rock throwers, and in many many accounts, they. Um, they throw rocks, not usually as an attack, but as a defensive move. And you kind of, you, you feel okay about the provenance of all this stuff? Like this isn't, uh, well, this the, isn't just trappers being dummies? The thing about, the thing about this stuff is at a certain point, I guess, the, the, that's why Bigfoot research continues to have an appeal to a certain um, kind of demographic uh, and, and why cryptozoology, in fact, is as as popular a pseudoscience as it is because there feels like a a, a tipping point where this many different cultures have similar enough stories about a similar looking creature that, uh, that has similar behaviors. Um, I am not just, just as I do not believe in UFOs and yet cower in the darkness at night, with the certain knowledge that UFOs are coming. Sure, because they don't care if you believe in them. Sure, They're exactly. going to probe you either way. I don't have any any belief in extraterrestrials visiting Earth, but every time there's a sighting of a UFO by a Navy pilot, I gobble it up. Don't believe in ghosts, but I'm scared of ghosts. Also- You just like the goosebumps. I like the goosebumps. I feel like if there were big feats, that there would be a lot of evidence yes. to support that. And yet, um, this kind of crypto evidence- it it appeals to me, and a lot of the reason is I grew up in the Pacific Northwest during the era where the greatest number and most you know most excitement around uh, big feats was you know it was in the newspaper all the time. And did it feel more direct because it was local? Like that could be a that's a trail like one you've hiked. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the um, I remember any time we I don't know why this is true. <laughs> But in the in the mid seventies, anytime we drove through Montlake Terrace, I had somehow gotten it into my head that Montlake Terrace was full of Sasquatches. 
Did you mean cheap post-war cinder block homes? <laughs> because you lived in Montlake Terrace, didn't you? Didn't you have a house up there? Yeah, it was. Uh, that was in that zip code when we lived on the North End. Did you ever see a Sasquatch? I did not. It uh, is it because it has like mountain and lake in the name? It I, seems more. It seems it, more. Uh, arboreal than most of our suburbs when you're seven years old the power of suggestion is strong and somebody must have just said like oh yeah sasquatch is living yeah, in sasquatch, but up in mount lake terrace but, but, when, but when, this when, is how it happens like some some native guy 200 years ago was like yeah sasquatch he's telling a kid yeah sasquatch just throw rocks and yeah, uh, knock, knock on, on stuff knock on logs but i remember watching tv in the 70s and watching you know in search of leonard nimoy talking about uh the sasquatches and then there would be a eerie recording of somebody with a um, somebody out trying to <laughs> trying to record the banjo music of the Northwest with a with a microphone and a tape recorder and and all these all this knocking and this kind of screeching howling that the big feats were doing and that picture are we going to talk about the picture uh, you're talking about the frame from the um, yeah it's 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 a fr- it's, film it's a video frame is that yeah. right yeah 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 I guess it's, that explains why it looks so awful it and that is. The most famous uh, Bigfoot sighting, although took place in Northern California, boo, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I did, I, I, I did, you know, I would. We drove a lot in Kitsap County at night, um, and that's a very wooded, and and was then much more wooded. And I would be in the back seat of the car, kind of staring out into the dark, watching the the very tall fir trees whiz by, or rather we were whizzing by, the fir trees were stationary. Well, it all depends. Mostly stationary. Einstein would say it depends. That's right. Uh, but I would, you know, peer through the trees searching for, you know, a sign of the, of the giant forest ape. Never, never saw one, but I spent, you know, I spent a lot of time in the woods, always a little bit conscious of the fact that maybe Bigfoot was watching. I think because it's, I think your landscape, the landscape that's that you grow up in becomes very formative to you. It kind of becomes your default way of seeing the natural world. And there's something very benevolent about it. Like I still feel very comforted by a Northwest forest with those exact species of trees and the Douglas firs and the moss moss. and the ferns. And, uh, and yeah, I I would love the idea that there was a, 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 a friendly ape. Yeah. Right. Something bigger than a porcupine. But uh, but not a bear, right? Bears are you, you don't want to encounter a bear in the forest, but you might encounter a Bigfoot. How cool would that be? Interestingly, Alaska has very few Bigfoot sightings. I mean, like even per capita, we like, got we have to control for population. No, 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 fewer total Bigfoot sightings than Massachusetts, <laughs> which, having been to both places, you would think Alaska would be. Killer Bigfoot territory. It's easier for them to stay away from people. You know, the Bigfoots of Cape Cod, they just keep running into to the, the summer people. And in Alaska, it's easy for a Bigfoot that doesn't want to be seen to to avoid detection. Yeah, but you know, Southeast Alaska is the Pacific Northwest. Uh, so if they're in BC, it's not that different to live in Cordova. Um, Maybe they prefer, I don't know. Maybe they they cross back into BC for the healthcare. Yeah, interesting. Uh, for for the for the cross tops for for the three three threes or two two twos. Uh, Hawaii has very few uh, Bigfoot sightings, as I think you could probably imagine. I mean, some of these places it's just going to be somebody wanting to, exp- you know, you get more attention for saying you saw a Bigfoot on Maui than you would for saying you saw one, uh, you know, 
near Bellingham. Right. I mean, I would love to sit down with the with the people that have seen Bigfoot in Rhode Island and just kind of have them walk me through like all, what part of Rhode Island. All exactly. these lists should have phone numbers. If you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna go on the record as saying I saw Delaware Bigfoot, you should have to be on a registry where curiosity seekers yeah. can just make you tell that story for the rest of your life. Yeah, I agree. Ken, what internet service provider do you use? Wait, don't answer that. I know that you don't have much of a choice. It's a monopoly economy. You really don't. I live in an oligopoly neighborhood where we have two choices, and that's more than most Americans, I yeah, think. Yeah, they really strangle you. Uh, but what do you do about internet security? You know, most of your ISPs will log your internet activity and sell that data to other big tech companies. Sure. They cap your data. They throttle your streaming and they're keeping an eye on everything you do. But there's a workaround mm-hmm. and it's not just for the technically savvy anymore. ExpressVPN is for everyone. It's a way to prevent ISPs from logging your internet activity. It's just a simple app you put on your device that then encrypts all your network data and sends it through a secure server, uh, keeping it where it belongs, out of the business of your ISP. Boy, that sounds fantastic. I mean, if you if you want to if you want to keep your online activity from being surveilled, think of how much of our lives we spend online now. Well, some of us. <laughs> and it's super easy. You just download the app, you tap a button, and you're protected. And it doesn't slow down your uh, wireless connection either, which which you know would be a concern. Well, so we highly recommend that you stop handing over your personal data to your ISPs and tech giants who mine your activity and sell your information. You should protect yourself with VPN. Visit expressvpn.com slash omnibus. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash omnibus to get three extra months free. Three free months of VPN protection. That's fantastic. Go to expressvpn.com slash omnibus right now to learn more and keep your ISPs from sniffing your files. Mm. Eek. Unless you're into that. Cryptozoology in general is a pseudoscience, but one that that it gives the appearance of a science enough that there um, that there continue to be like not only practitioners of it, but it has the it has the the vague whiff of being like a new age. Uh, yes, a greater understanding of the natural world, right? And it mirrors pretty precisely what naturalists would do in previous centuries. You know. The, Cryptozoologists will be the first to tell you that, hey, for a long time, people thought mountain gorillas were a cryptid. Right. And then somebody finally went into the Rienzori Mountains of Uganda or whatever it is, and there they were. And so today's cryptozoologists are doing the same thing. Uh, I guess we're just a little skeptical that they're, at this late date, that we've missed much. Yeah, and and, and, and as we... As we um push into the wilderness and i mean even in my own lifetime there's so much less old growth forest the cascades have been so intruded upon that what used to seem like terra incognita uh now is like anything but i mean the number of people that are just hiking the pacific coast trail are scaring all the big feats away 
I guess when you mentioned, you know, your idea as a kid that all this, the, all the Bigfoot were just up in Snohomish County, 20 minutes north of downtown yeah. Seattle. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Like when I was growing up in Edmonds, there were big patches of undeveloped land. It wasn't old growth, but just, you know, across the street from any house, you might have some giant forest that hadn't been, that nobody built on yet. Right. Even a third growth fir forest is 70, 80 years old. Pretty Those impressive. trees yeah. are 300 feet time. And you can imagine a Bigfoot. Yeah, that's right. You can imagine a Bigfoot and, and the idea of it being kind of si- silent and solitary um, and maybe just lurking, like you're in the forest and the Bigfoot is there and watching you. Right. The intelligence of it is what distinguishes it from imagining you might see a bear or a moose. Right. Right? Right. The fact There's that a... it's it's tracking you and not the other way around. Right. Uh, and that remains, I mean, that throughout the, the course of... Uh, of the Bigfoot saga, there's always that element that the Bigfoot is maybe not outsmarting you, but in a way, consistently outsmarting us all. Because where is it? But you know who's smarter than the Bigfoot? The cryptid that nobody sees. You oh, know, the Bigfoot right. The Bigfoot must be the dumbest one because we keep, there's, right. there's thousands of sightings. Right. Like, but the Mothman. Yeah. If there's like a green spaghetti-eyed <laughs> uh, a gelatinous cube in the in the hills outside uh Tacoma or something. Right. There, you know, nobody's ever seen that. That's the one that really is. Smarter. And hopefully its descendants are listening to the program right now. <laughs> um but the but the 20th century is the is the period where the combination of recording technology and video the um the the sort of collision of the old Northwest, which even in the fifties was largely, uh, if not unexplored, largely un, uh, cultivated, mm-hmm. unexcavated, uh, but was experiencing this great influx of people who had all these experiences, uh, a knowledge of science and of, of, um, naturalism, which was also popular, you know, growing in popularity in the, in the twenties and thirties. Um, it all, you know, kind of the, these creatures were brought to life. And one of the triggering episodes was, as you say, the Yeti and the dis- discovery of Yeti prints in the snow, uh, in 1951 by a, by a very respected mountaineer. Eric Earl Shipton, who was in the Himalayas searching for a different route up the backside of Everest and found these enormous prints in the snow. Do they look like feet or hands? They look like feet, big feet. And uh, he took photographs of them and he had his his ice axe next to them for scale. And um, and it was a, you know, it, it was a shot heard around the world. Like it was a, a fascinating because you want your Bigfoot sighting to come from a respected outdoorsman and someone who had had a lot of experience in the mountains and wouldn't be easily fooled. Sure. This is the kind of thing that might be in national geographic and not, and not news of the weekly world news or whatever it's called. Uh, and there were, I mean, there's a, uh, a, a book called a long walk, which I read many years ago, which is an account of a, a prisoner of war in the Soviet Union during World War II who escaped with a group of other 
uh, prisoners and walked from... Oh, this is the thing they made the Peter Weir movie out of, They made the movie out of it, right. That they walked from... from Siberia all the way down across the Himalayas and into British India. And uh, the movie was, I was very excited to hear about the movie. Um, and, uh, you know, it was an interesting and uh, if not excellent movie. The Way Back 2010. The Way Back. But crucially, and here's an enormous spoiler alert if you're uh, if you're interested in reading the book and have seen the movie, but the end of the book, and in a way the thing that, the tentpole that supports the whole crazy story is a Yeti sighting. And this would have been in during the war, the late forties, I'm Yet- sorry, mid forties. Does the Yeti save them? Like at the end of Tintin in Tibet? No, it's one of those crazy moments where, you know, they've finally made it across you know, this, this incredible walk, this incredible journey over the mountains. And then there's just this sort of incidental, but, uh, but prolonged <laughs> encounter with a family of yetis. And Ed Harris does not do that in the movie. No, they left it completely out of the movie and it just seemed insane to me. I watched the whole movie thinking like, okay, okay, get to the yeti part. And it just <laughs> they they just cut it out. Uh, that book was not published in its time. That book was published decades later. So it it um but a lot of this like you're saying, the power of suggestion and the whispered story and somebody's just they're lacing up their boots and talking to somebody else, and they're like, "You've heard about the snowman, right? The uh, the big uh, the big snowman that that so and so saw. You know, it just it kind of puts the the germ in your mind. It wouldn't be a, a sighting that was that was legendary by any means, but just you know, whispers among mountaineers and foresters. But no matter how suggestible you are and how many whispers you've heard, you're not going to create a family of of yetis." plainly visible in the snow out of out of the whole cloth. I mean, at some point, some of these stories are either deception or they are reality, right? And there's there are quite a few examples where, I mean, the actual scientists, just as, as they prefer to debunk UFO sightings as weather balloons or atmospheric anomalies or ball lightning or whatever, you know, the the... The shortlist, the laminated shortlist of reasons that you might see something flying through the air. That the men in black carry with them? Um, yeah, and, and this these local or these most recent Navy sightings where they have it on video and there are these fast-moving little orbs hovering over the ocean. Um, I Most of the UFO debunkers are forced to say, we have no idea what those are, but but it's still so implausible that they're extraterrestrial that uh w- you know we're sticking to our guns or whatever you know like whatever whatever they might be that's not enough evidence some some grainy footage of a of a of a little ball that uh-huh. that we're prepared to say that there are um ETs and in most cases with uh with Sasquatch sightings that are both reliable and kind of uh, not easily debunkable, reliable sources, people that aren't just goofballs, Um, it it tends to be a bear or at least uh, described as a bear. Uh, There was a very recent one um, that happened in Pennsylvania where a hunter had a camera that you know that you see this a lot these forest cameras that capture 
pictures of deer doing weird things and raccoons standing on their it's just motion sensitive and, yeah, so, wildlife photos. You know, wildlife gets gets snapped. Uh, there's a picture of a bipedal, um, shadowy creature that just doesn't look like a bear in any way. It, really, I mean, its legs are pretty long, and um, this was a this was a man named Rich Jacobs, and this happened just in 2007 in the Allegheny Mountains. Captured this picture that that seems very compelling. Um, he described it as a teenage Sasquatch. <laughs> How did he know it was teenage? exactly? But you was know, it it, masturbating. It has these long legs. Yeah, it was. It was playing video games. I mean, we put all that porn in the woods for a reason, and now we have corrupted the Sasquatch. It had it had uh, legs proportionate to its torso in a way that you think of a bear as right. being bear very have, yeah. bottom heavy. Yeah. But when um, when real zoologists looked at it, they said, look, it's very common for bears in this region to have mange. And if a bear had mange and all, and had lost all its hair, you'll find that, that this, it's just like a, if you ever see an uh, an owl without its feathers, right? It's you're like, like whoa, oh, dear. it has legs now. Yeah, and and uh, and so there's you know there's always going to be a zoologist that says all sasquatches are mangy bears. Yeah, mangy bears or other uh, other things. But you do hear like 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 Eric Shipton. Um, he was not a hoaxer. You're right. He wasn't in the Himalayas to hoax. He was there to that we know of mountain climb. Right. Um, and there are other recent sightings that have been captured on camera or video, and it's always shaky cam. The creature is always behind a scrim of trees. The the camera people always freak out and run. You know, there's never it never happens where the person with the camera is has nerves of steel. And pursues the creature. You know, they're always freaked out by it. But I've watched all this footage. And, you know, there was an uh, uh, an event in 2012 in Provo Canyon, Utah, mm-hmm. where two kids with a video camera saw a bear and excitedly started to film it. And then the bear stood up and it doesn't look like a bear. It looks like a person. And again, it's the proportion legs to body. A bear is so much of a torso shaped thing. And when you see, you see long legs, it's spooky. But of course the kids immediately freak out. The two kinds of animals, chonky and spooky. That's right. Chonky or, or it it can't be both. (laughs) Oh, you can be chonky and spooky. I've dated a couple of people that were, um, so the two kids, you know, they get this interesting footage, but immediately run away. There's a, in 2001, there was a, uh, what what I think of as a kind of hilarious event where Campus Life, are you familiar with this organization? No, Campus Life. Campus Life is a is like a Youth for Christ organization that um, you know, in in this instance in 2001, they'd gone up into the Marble Mountains in Their name seems too vague to me. Campus life? It suggests anything that can happen on campus, whereas in my experience, religious expression is a very tiny percentage of campus life. Uh, but have you noticed Have you noticed a tendency within uh, evangelical Christianity to kind of try to 
conceal their. I guess what uh, it is, it's, it's probably li- it's life with a capital L. It's it like, is life with a capital L. It's like etern- Let's do life it, it, eternal life, yeah. but on campus. Uh, Jim Mills took his campus life group of teens up to the Marble Mountains in California in the Siskiyous. So near the Oregon border, uh, up in the which is where a lot of these sightings happen, mm-hmm. and um, they hilariously, to me at least, to anyone watching this video with a critical eye, found a uh, a little sleeping nest made out of pine boughs that wasn't just a thing that a bear would make. It wasn't just a nest. It actually was a lean to, basically that looked like, I mean, it basically looks like the survival structure that I would have built if I were, uh, if I were in the Siskiyous and needed a place to sleep. What percentage of Bigfoot encounters are just people seeing you after a rough night? Yeah. Me, me where my friends kicked me out of the car on a logging (laughs) road and I was like, damn it, I'm going to have to spend the night out here. Uh, but then they are in a clearing and have a clear view of a mountain ridge high up in the, you know, uh, high above them. And they see uh, a tall humanoid figure with long arms. And this is another trait of Bigfoot. That yes. Long arms d- below the waist. He's kind of simian, but I do, I do think it's weird that his feet are like human feet and not like an ape's more, um, what, uh, kind of opposable thumbs and yeah, right. you know, he, the finger-like toes The of big ape. toe on a big feet is always a, a human he's hairy human but he's just got big human feet and seven feet tall and this this uh, creature was they captured it the, the jim mills captured it with a video camera that had a zoom lens um captured it walking down this ridge and at a certain point but, but you know far enough away that it's that it's just a blur ambiguous uh and it stopped at one point and uh, according to the narration, uh, shook its fist at them because they had disturbed its campsite. And Jim Mills is kind of like speculatively describing what's happening. I'm very skeptical that fist shaking is even a human-wide gesture. I would say that fist shaking is probably cultural, culturally specific. Yeah, to the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, so to, uh, I guess. it's Bigfoot derived. So what he's been watching local TV. My my feeling in watching that video is that this is exactly the type of prank that some campus life uh, counselor, some twenty two year old campus life counselor, would climb all the way up to the top of this mountain <laughs> in an ape suit just to uh, just to give all the the kids something to. To what end? What souls are saved? What souls are brought to Christ? <laughs> it just feels like you get tired of talking about the Bible and you need something else to divert you. That's essentially wholesome. I mean, it's better than all these kids masturbating each other after the lights go out. Is that what normally happens at Campus Life? <laughs> it's me. I've never been to a Campus Life meeting. Have you, well, it does seem plausible. There though. is a religious connection, uh, at least in the New World, to some of these cryptids. You know, the... Uh, I think 19th century Protestant frontier Protestants were eager to speculate that, uh, you know, if Cain were punished oh, yeah. and, and, and sent wandering the earth, then today, if you saw some mean grubby guy, it might be Cain. Cause he, you know, he had been as part of his punishment, he had been saved from death. Is there a Mormon take on big feats? I mean, certainly Utah, Colorado, uh, have a lot of 
have a lot of sightings. Yeah, so this 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 common 19th century religious idea that Cain would be wandering around just annoying people. Shaking his fist. <laughs> shaking his fist, probably. <laughs> I'll kill you again, Abel, if what I could. Are, what are you doing in my camp? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a folk among folklore of Mormon pioneers. There was an account of uh, David Patton, an early Mormon apostle, seeing, uh, you know, some just tall, hairy giant wandering around Paris, Tennessee. And I think Patton's on a horse, and this guy's still the same height as him. And Patton's like, "What's your deal?" And he's like, uh, "Yo, I'm Kane, basically." Oh, oh, yeah. And he said it like that. Did he make like a like a gang sign? <laughs> what would, what to you yo, would yo. Yeah, to, what to you would be a verifiable way to say that you're Cain? Oh, I don't does know. Does he have ID? ID, right? I guess or, he would have the mark from the Book of Genesis. Sure, pull out the Cain medal. <laughs> I like the idea that Cain is just some kind of dumb Kevin, like just the worst possible ancient guy who has survived till now, and he's still just wandering around all dirty and gross. He could have said she was only fourteen years old. <laughs> Uh, oh, and he says, yeah, you know, God has refused to kill me. And, uh, so now I'm here just to be, just to be evil. Oh, you know, that's, that's just what Cain's do. And so this became part of, uh, Mormon folklore. And I I assume that it continued when the Mormons moved West and were on the Wasatch front. And it's still part of their idea that, you know, if you ever see anything weird in the mountains, it's just Cain making trouble. So, uh, does that... Does that uh, is that evidence that these that that these are actual experiences in the sense that this was not coming from a there are wild ape men already in the forests up here it was it seems like a kind of but, singular but he is encounter an, but he is an even an evangelist who where it confirms his his literalist Old Testament beliefs right, right, right. so maybe it's maybe it's just the same I don't know. If you expect to see Cain uh, when you're on your horse, but would he be a would he be a fur monster? It doesn't seem implied by the account in Genesis. No, <laughs> no, it would seem that he would be uh, that he would be a Semitic person. I wonder if maybe there's some um, conflation of existing reports of you know the cryptids that the native people see or that the settlers whisper about on campfires, and you want to have an explanation that ties into your worldview. So you're like, aha. Genesis chapter two, book of Cain, you know, it's right, got to right, be right. Cain. Right. I don't know. It's interesting to me in this era, and this is true of, of UFOs too, as video cameras have gotten more, have proliferated sure. and gotten better and better in quality. Like the new iPhone, if you saw, if you saw any of these things and had a new iPhone. You would not get blurry, grainy yeah, video. At, in the middle of the night, and this is not an ad for Apple, but in the middle of the night with the with that new camera, I mean, you could you could get pretty high resolution photos of stuff. Or the new Android camera, which I'm sure is great. Oh, I just don't know great. because I've never met anyone with an Android phone. <laughs> I'm not hanging out with those people. You don't know any gamers. <laughs> uh, in 2000, and so in you you see you see accounts all the time. There was a U.S. Forest Patrolman, which is one of those titles that I'm not sure exactly what a U.S. forest patrolman is. Do you think it's self, self-granted? <laughs> Maybe, but a guy named Paul Freeman in, in southern Washington, in the Blue Mountains, had an encounter. But then in 2013, and this is, a, this is one of those videos that depends on how gullible you are, but there are certain things that make some videos seem more likely than others. And, 
This happened in Mississippi, but a man named Josh Highcliffe made, he was out hunting in the, in the forest and you really feel the Mississippiness of it. Uh, it does not feel like a Pacific Northwest forest at all, but he, he sees a bear that's kind of like tearing up a tree stump and he's filming it from a distance and through enough trees and underbrush that it's like, Hmm, what's going on over there? I've seen this. Uh, have you? Yeah. And 2013, it's like, what kind of camera is it that this guy has that isn't good enough to capture this a little better? But when you think about it in terms of, here's a guy, he's he's playing a hoax. He's got his friend out there in a monkey suit. Even if you were savvy enough to make a video uh, to account for the fact that you had a you had a bad suit, or to make to make something that seemed um, so it seemed plausible, but you could kind of see right through it. I mean, if you're a Bigfoot ho- hoaxer, how good of a cinematographer are you, or a or a or a screenwriter? You got to be a got to be a seamstress, also. But this this video taken by uh, Josh Highcliffe is nothing if not super boring for most of it. You're just watching this brown fur thing. Root around. Root around. And it's like, what is this? I mean, this, this is so indistinguished. It could be a hog. And then right at the end, it stands up and it looks really big and really humanoid. And then immediately Josh freaks out and runs. And so you only get a glimpse, but but it feels like if you were putting on a prank that you would that you would tell your friend like just sit and root around as an in, like a indistinct hump for five minutes and then stand up and I'll run. It is the aesthetic of internet scare videos of around that time that you get lulled in by by uh, what am I even looking at? Right, and then there's the jump. Bah! But then of course you think, well, first of all, this the Josh is making a lot of noise while he's filming it, and if it's truly a big feats who is used to staying out of sight the quiet magnolia forest yeah and- this guy like stepping on branches or whatever would have alerted you but there there are a lot of things that a lot of commonalities to bigfoot hoaxes and what will what we're about to hear this late in the show is that bigfoot hoaxing became a real thing in the northwest and elsewhere mostly because it's so easy to do and because it there are a lot of people in Washington forests. Is it easy to do? It's super easy Certainly to do. Certainly it's easier to just sit at home and smoke a joint and not do it. In the mid-1880s, uh, there was an article that appeared in Vancouver, in the newspaper in Vancouver, um, where they discovered, or someone had seen in Yale, British Columbia, an ape, a, a mountain ape. And this was, they made no... Uh, there was there was no connection to a uh, like a, a a Sasquatch or any kind of Bigfoot. It was l- described literally as an ape that was seen up in the mountains, and this article so, sort of set off a lot of excitement. Uh, but it turned out it wasn't based on anything. It was just an article somebody wrote for the newspaper. Uh, it was just a just a fantastical kind of not uncommon back then, right? For yeah. s- small town newspapers competing to boost circulation. Just like, guess what? In- there was an ape in the mountains inventing a crazy story. Um, but in 1924, a, a very um, 
a very sort of famous event again at Mount St. Helens. And you know, the, the, the name for the Mount St. Helens, the, the native American name for the Mount St. Helens apes, uh, was, and we've talked about skookum as a word sure. in, um, Chinook jargon. In Chinook jargon, meaning, you know, good or, or cool or chill. But the name for the mountain apes of uh, St. Helens was Skookums. Because they're so chill? They're, they're not chill. They were, they were thought of as cannibals. Oh. But there was a group of, of uh, loggers and, and forest homeboys up in, uh, in, at Mount St. Helens in 1924 who were staying in a, a little cabin and got into a battle with... Mountain devils, as they described them, uh, where the mountain devils were throwing rocks at them, and they had a big fight in a in a sort of a narrow canyon there at Mount St. Helens, a, a canyon that later was destroyed in the eruption, a canyon that ended up being called Ape Canyon to commemorate this the famous ape fight, the famous ape fight of 1924. Later on, uh, a group of Counselors from a YMCA camp said that they were up on the mountain that day, and it was kind of a tradition among the campers to throw uh, pumice rocks down into this very narrow canyon, sort of a just a, a thing that they always did when they came to that part. What fun back then. What fun. Let's go throw some pumice into the canyon. And it seemed like maybe they were unaware that there was a little shack down there full of hunters and uh, and loggers that that were interpreting that rain of rocks as a as a, a battle with mountain devils. How far away from YMCA campers do you have to be where they look like ape people? Well, we should ask the, the campus life folks. <laughs> Uh, exactly how long a, a kid's arms have to be before he looks like a mountain ape. I guess there are plenty of teens that, te- you know, there are teens that look more simian than, than any other age group. Yeah, right. For, for sure. I mean, their arms grow first, right? That's, <laughs> That's what right. we all know about <laughs> teens. Their arms and their heads grow first and their beards later. But the real Northwest hoaxing started in earnest in 1930 when a man by the name of Rant Mullins, which again, feels like one of those fr- frontier names. That seems what fake. the hell is Rant is, Mullins? What's Rant short for? Vagrant? Right. R- <laughs> Rant, Rantan, Rantan Rock? Rantolf. Rantolf. Uh, Rant was one of these, uh, these sort of kooky foresters and, um, you know, like a logger that ended up working for the forest service And at the time, there were a lot of berry pickers kind of intruding on his forest. And he wasn't malicious about it. He just, as a lark, and you could see if you were up there in the forest all the time and a bunch of city slickers were driving down with their raccoon coats to to hunt blueberries that you might want to play a prank on him. And Rant uh, claimed many years later to have carved a set of big feats out of wood with a, I mean, basically whittled them, looked like human shaped feet, uh, and then strapped them to his own feet and stomped around in the mud to give the tourists a thrill and freak them out. What? Yeah. What's your end game? Is is he? Is it kind of a lo- local local hates tourists kind of a thing? Or no, we, did he have a way to profit? Was you'll he going to start selling merch? You'll, you'll see a lot of these 
stunts are just stunts. Uh, I guess before television existed, you had to do something. Yeah, they're just goofs. Nobody's, I mean, there are examples of people trying to profit, but a lot of these early Northwestern... It's just unaccountable. Bigfoot hoaxes are just like guys having a good time up in the woods. Uh, they, you know, they're probably they're drinking Olympia out of those stubby bottles. Did they and, see artesians? <laughs> and it feels like why not? Let's have some fun. Um, I feel like Rant goofed around for a while and uh, and then sort of forgot about it. But put his feet up. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Put both sets of feet up. In the shed. And I feel like it was something that he passed around to other loggers, maybe made a made a few sets of feet and said, Here's a good here's a good gag. Uh stomp around in the in the mud outside the parking lot and and you know, people would come running in like, I've seen these huge feet. Uh and footprints. He's a, and he's aware of the, at this point there's some cultural uh uh precedent. So, well, the, so well, the people think, well, these could be the wild men that some say live in these woods. Yeah, or if not widely known, with uh, you know among the hipsters of Seattle, um, at least that's where he got the idea hmm. uh, that if he's living on the slopes of Mount St. Helens and this is a Native American legend, probably filtered down to him. Almost certainly he didn't just come up with the idea of a mountain ape all by himself. I like how nature got so tired of these guys in 1980. They just blew them all up. Right. <laughs> Nature's healing. These guys are, <laughs> these guys are weirdos. They're up to no good. So John, let's say you had a choice of deodorants to put in your armpit. I feel like I do. I feel like I do have a choice. Let's say your choice was between one that was had like aluminum in it mm-hmm. and another one that had like natural ingredients like coconut oil or shea butter. Why would a deodorant need aluminum in the first place? I try to limit the amount of aluminum I smear on my body. If you are like John and would like less aluminum in your armpits, uh, you couldn't do better than Native. It's uh, They make aluminum-free deodorant that is not tested on animals. Almost everything they that make That was my is, next question. Almost everything is vegan. Uh, if you have sensitive, if you're sensitive to baking soda, they have a line of sensitive deodorants for you. I am very sensitive. If you're tired of, uh, all the plastic getting into our watersheds and, uh, extremities. I'm super tired of that. You want their line of plastic free deodorants. If you don't like scented deodorants, which I think is you, John, I right? do not like scented deodorants. They have a line of unscented, like they sent me a couple and I thought they smelled delightful, but they also have an unscented option. Uh, they have rotating seasonal scents. If you're if you're tired of last month's, uh, the way your armpits smelled in December, you want a new start for 2021. If you're wasn't your New Year's resolution, John, to have your armpits smell different? Uh, yes, every year I think. Why don't I have a a fresh seasonal scent for every sort of changing season? Spring scent, uh, autumnal scent. What you want to do is make the switch from whatever deodorant you're using to native you want to go to nativedeo.com slash omnibus and use promo code omnibus at checkout that way you'll get 20 percent off your first order so that's nativedeo.com slash omnibus and use promo code omnibus at checkout for 25 percent off your first order that's right hot fast forward uh you know 25 years later in the in the 1950s, again, right up in that same region, uh, in uh, in southern Washington, 
a group or, you know, South, South Central Washington. Um, a man by the name of Raymond Wallace, who was one of a handful of brothers that ran a logging company up in those same woods. Uh, he was a neighbor of Rant Mullins and Rant dusted off his old wooden footprints and Raymond was aware, I think, of the of the fake, or aware of the older hoax. But the Wallace brothers were finding that their logging equipment was getting vandalized by what they described as just a bunch of drunks who, again, looking for something to do in the the region of Toledo, Washington. To this uh, to this day, uh, an uphill climb, uh, right? And and uh, you know, a real a major metropolis. Uh, they were, you know, they had forgotten the Bigfoot uh, foot technology and they were just up there screwing around with bulldozers. So the Wallace brothers uh, and Raymond in particular strapped on these old carved wooden feet and stomped around in the mud around their logging gear with the idea that it would freak out whoever these vandals were and and they, and they, this is the first guy that has a motive. I understand. Yeah. And, and, and he went down into town and, and reported having seen these big feats with the idea that it would scare off people. It seems like it could easily backfire. And, and it did. Um, but it also, these, they're pranksters and they enjoyed the publicity. Mm. He ended up making some evidence of, um, some other evidence in addition to the footprints. Is it poop? Uh, it was, he took bison hair because he, he or one of his friends actually also had a bison on their farm and kind of took bison hair and, and passed it off as Sasquatch hair. This is sort of pre DNA identification. Uh, and I think if you were handed some bison hair and told that it came from a mountain ape, sure. You might not think, Hey, this is bison. And bison were uncommon. Uh, but plaster casts were made of these feet and the, the story went, went large and it then became a thing, you know, a thing of the region kind of idea like, Oh, they're big. It only takes two or three games of telephone. And a small group of locals kept perpetuating it. Yeah. And, and just, and, and people that, people that, that wanted it to be true. Mm -hmm. But then the real lightning bolt of Bigfoot cryptozoology landed in the world in 1967 when uh, the Patterson-Gimlin film was recorded. That's the one I'm picturing? The one you're picturing of what was described as a female Bigfoot walking, arms swinging. I'm not sure I have as good... Bigfoot gender dar as they do. I, I would not have been able to tell that was a female. Bigfoot. Yeah. You know, she just had that certain insouciance that we She's got a little sway. Yeah. That we, that we have come to think of. Or are as, there secondary sexual characteristics? There aren't. And okay. I think that There's, it's just, uh, I think it was a way of camouflaging the fact that this was clearly not a seven foot tall creature. Oh, I see. Uh, that, this one's human size because it's a female. Yeah, it's kind of like the one in Pennsylvania where it's like, this is a teenage Bigfoot or a <laughs> black bear with mange. But it, uh, this is a film taken in Northern California that uh, the footage went uh, around the world. I mean, so exciting that we still, it, it still pops up on 
all the, the, the Discovery Channel sort of shows about this kind of... It's the equivalent of the surgeon's photo of the Loch Ness Monster. It's the thing you visualize first when you think of a Bigfoot. That's right. And there's something about it, the graininess of the film, the distance of the creature, the way it's walking, and then that moment, that crucial moment, when it turns to face the camera and then continues to walk walk on and disappear. And the pace that it's walking makes it feel like it's trying to get out of sight. Uh, I remember it giving me chills, even thinking about it, describing it now. You know, I get a little reflexive chill. There's a famous frame, frame 352 of that set of of, uh, of the Super 8 camera. Wow, you're whatever. like a Zapruder buff of the of the Patterson-Gimlin film. And you would recognize it, right? The arms That's are the akimbo, about, yeah. the, 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 the best shape. face is facing you. Um, and that set off... Kind of like the UFO sightings over Mount Rainier in the late 40s, it just precipitated a huge number of Bigfoot sightings. Um, after that, Northern California, you couldn't throw a rock without hitting a Bigfoot. Was the video, I don't want to jump ahead, but was the video ever uh, tracked down? Was it confer- ever confirmed to be a hoax? It was confirmed to be a hoax. The Loch Ness guys confessed. But- yeah, and there were, and confessions usually attend these things many years later. I mean, Ramp Mullins eventually came out um, with the wooden feet and said, here they are. That's pretty good evidence. Looking at the feet, you're like, he carved these in an afternoon. These aren't clever. These aren't good. (laughs) And they perfectly matched the plaster casts. Uh, Raymond Wallace died without confessing, but his family came out and also I think had a set of wooden feet that were, you know, maybe also carved by Rant Williams. Um, and when you see the feet, the wooden feet, you're like, really? Like anyone fell for this? Uh, the prints don't have the kind of pressure marks that normal feet it's would. It's kind of flat. Yeah. People are just uh, it's a piece of plywood stomping around on a piece of wood. Uh, it does the, show, it does show that, you know, a quality workmanship could really, could really lead to a, a convincing cryptid yeah, encounter. If they'd walked around in rubber feet, uh, it turned out that a man by the name of Bob Hieronymus, all these guys have great names. Yeah. Bob Hieronymus uh, claimed to be the person in the suit. And he said, Who was that, previously anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> Ding. He, uh, he said that if, if, uh, if Patterson and Gimlin had paid him, the money that they promised to pay him for his job of of being the female Bigfoot, he would have kept he would have his shut secret. Up. <laughs> but they they never did pay him, and so he uh, he eventually came out and said said that he was the guy in the suit. Now there are a lot of people that don't want to believe Bob Hieronymus and uh, and you know dispute his account. He can't produce the suit, right? But enough, and that's true. They can't. Pr- he could not produce the suit. Uh, but so after that, there were a lot of this kind of thing in 1976. And this happens a lot where people go into the forests of Northern California, uh, Oregon and Washington looking for Bigfoot. And these are the groups that tend to capture footage of Bigfoot. Clearly Bigfoot can sense interest and belief like Santa Claus yes. and rewards it. Like weirdly people that are just in the same forests doing other activities. Don't see a Bigfoot. Don't see a Bigfoot. 
1976, a woman named Sherry uh, Darvel uh, went on a Bigfoot finding expedition in Humboldt County and disappeared. Disappeared on the expedition, uh, prompting a massive search for her involving hundreds of sheriffs and uh, combing the countryside. Couldn't find her. And then several days later, she turned up at the Bluff Creek Resort uh, with the appearance of having been terrorized and a story of having been kidnapped by Bigfoot. I married a Bigfoot. Carried, kidnapped by Bigfoot and and held potentially for mating purposes. It's UFO abduction, but, That's right. but with Bigfoot. And she, anytime she was asked about it, uh, try, you know, the sheriffs tried to interview her. Uh, she would start screaming. But the sheriff in charge of the search uh, doubted her account because, according to him, she was perfectly dressed, not dirty, and smelled like perfume after having spent six days in the wilderness living with a book, Bigfoot. So who, maybe, maybe it was all consensual. There, There is some precedent for this mating, Bigfoot capturing people for mating purposes – uh, all the way back in 1957, a prospector named Albert Ostman uh, up in British Columbia claimed that many years prior, in 1924, he'd been captured by a Bigfoot for breeding purposes, he said, and held for six days by a Bigfoot in B.C., uh, probably, I guess a, it took six, a thirsty female Bigfoot. Well, I don't, I think it was a male Bigfoot and it took the Bigfoot six days to realize that he had captured a male human, oh. which seems weird. If you're going to, if you're going to look at a thing and say, I can breed with this. <laughs> Do you think they have blurry footage of us? Are they like, well, this, we, this appears to be a teenage human <laughs> wandering between some trees. I mean, I, I got spooked and ran away, but what, what, what I don't think was considered at the time was that maybe it was a gay Bigfoot, uh, that captured Albert Ostman and was, you know, and meant to, it could not have been easy to be a gay Bigfoot in the fifties. Right. Right. Uh, your family would have tried to so many challenges, ostracize you, send you to town. I mean, probably. it probably took him a long time to realize even to himself that he was a gay Bigfoot. Uh, in 1977, again in, in outside of Vancouver, there was a, a very exciting Bigfoot cro- uh, sighting. I even remember this one. Um, there was a bus full of tourists driving uh, around, uh, driving along, and a Bigfoot crossed the road oh. right in front of them, and everybody on the bus saw it, just like the novelty sign. Right, Bigfoot crossing. <laughs> Bigfoot crossing. Uh, and that was revealed to uh, to be a prank. Uh, they actually, a group of, of kids in their 20s, actually had, they planted a friend on the bus. And it was the friend that said, oh, look! And wow. then the bus screeched to a halt and everybody stood up and they all saw the Bigfoot. Um, that Bigfoot was described by everyone on the bus as being seven feet tall and had a very powerful odor. Even into the bus. Uh, but it, but the Bigfoot himself was a, was a 24-year-old who was five foot 11. In a in a in an ape suit. Well, we don't have a professional basketball team up here anymore, but there must have just been tall people wandering around. I mean, if if you were a tall person living in Seattle, if you're Jack Sikma or okay, or right. Bill Bill Russell still Bill lives Russell? here, uh-huh. like w- would you spend some time on weekends just walking around, scaring people in the woods? <laughs> you know, I used to live on a on a. I used to live in Seattle's Rainier Beach, and the road up to Rainier Beach, uh, Ryan Way, 
has a big sweeping turn. Yes. And you remember, you've come up this road many times. That's how I used to drive. And at night, uh, it's just a, there's a patch where the streetlights don't cover and there's some forest and there aren't any houses really visible in that little section. And every night, and it's a, it's a four lane road. Every night as you drive up and go around this curve, the way your headlights sweep across the trees is spooky. It's just, there's just something about it that feels like you're on this curve. And if there was something there briefly, it would freak you out. Even though you're in the middle of a neighborhood, the freeways is uh, 300 yards away. It's just something in the nature of this moment. And for many, for the 11 years I lived there, every time I went by that place, I thought to myself, you know what? You should put a sheet on sometime and just go stand in those trees. You're up walking around at night anyway. You know, like Why how not? hilarious. You would, you, you know, you'd freak out six or seven people. I know for a fact I would not have slammed on the brakes and jumped out and chased this Bigfoot. I doubt anybody else would have. Um, and we'll see that that has some gnarly consequences later on. Here. It uh, is the it is the engine behind like Twin Peaks and a lot of other things in the culture that Northwest forests are spooky, yeah. in kind of a fun eccentric way, yeah. You know, and this this is right in the middle of town. If it was a Bigfoot, it would be pretty weird. But I I was thinking, you know, more like a guy in a white suit with a chalky face, like you're, ghost you're Slender or Man or yeah, something. Man. You, you don't think Rainier Beach has a, has a Bigfoot? Yeah, I'm doubt I'm doubting that it does. Um. But, you know, I lived there for 11 years. I don't know. I saw a coyote. Maybe it's got a Bigfoot, too. In 85, there was a, there was a Bigfoot hoax where, uh, again, a, a person 24 years old, which seems to be peak Bigfoot hoax age, uh, Craig Brashier would put on an ape suit and just go out and stand by the highway in exactly this way that I, that I kind of wanted to do, uh, freak out some Freak out people. It got in the newspaper. Freak out the straits. And then he, you know, then he came forward and said it was me. But in recent years, in uh, in the 2000s, in 2008, a man named Rick Dyer claimed to have found a Bigfoot in the forest and with the help of some friends, sort of humped this Bigfoot back in. I'm so glad that sentence ended the way it did. <laughs> um, but took it into town. The, it took it into town. The Bigfoot was seven foot seven tall and weighed 500 pounds. This is in Georgia, you know, peak Bigfoot country. Uh, put it in a, and this isn't a skunk ape. This is a, this is a hairy old Bigfoot. Who got lost. And he froze it in a freezer and then definitely like tried to get a bunch of publicity for himself Tried to get cryptozoologists involved. Tried to get real zoologists involved. Um, what does he have in the freezer? What it ended up being was a uh, a portmanteau of a Bigfoot. It was a combination of an ape suit, some, oh, some carvings just, that he'd done. He built a thing. But then a bunch of animal entrails and roadkill parts that he threw on top of this thing. Who did he think he was going to fool? Well, he froze it solid, so there wasn't a way to... Oh, it's in ice. Yeah, so it's... So he fooled a lot of people. Um, and he was very good. He was sort of a Trump-like character in that when he was confronted, he kind of turned the confrontation back on you. Um you know, like got confrontational and was very defensive when accused. 
But eventually enough people were like, thaw out your Bigfoot, that it was revealed to be just a, you know, just a hoax. But then the same Rick Dyer, six years later, in 2014, claimed to have been hunting in Texas and shot a Bigfoot. I feel like the second time I'm a little less likely to believe one of these guys. You only get one, you only get one bite at the apple. You only get one shot. Don't miss your chance to put together your fake Bigfoot. But he shot this Bigfoot, again brought it in, claimed to have its body, sent away its DNA to some mysterious, unnamed Washington University that <laughs> uh, that did test the DNA and claimed that it was an un, uh, unknown-to-science creature. Again, confronted by people to... Sh- and he took the... Oh, he froze the body and took it on tour. And people paid to see it. So here's your grifter. He's monetized Bigfoot. People are coming to see the Bigfoot. Again, it turns out to be a, a clown, you know, a, 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 a ginned up fake Bigfoot. Uh, but he, you know, he actually made money on it. And again, like really confronted people that, that challenged him. But the most tragic one of these, again, in recent years... In 2012, a man by the name of, and you know, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. A man by the name of Randy Lee Tenley. Okay. Outside of Kalispell, Montana. If your middle name's Lee, it's. Randy Lee? You're always up to, you're always up to something. Come on, Randy Lee. I don't even trust Grant Lee Buffalo. Randy Lee uh, bought a Geely suit and a Geely suit is a head to toe um, sort of furry, mossy-looking camouflage suit uh, that's used hunting? by special forces and hunting people. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd be kind of dumb to wear it hunting because someone's going to shoot you as a Bigfoot. You want the opposite of a Geely suit hunting. But, you know, Geely suit really does, uh, because it's furry and and uh, and frilly, it masks the shape of your body. Uh, he put on a Geely suit and just as a goof... Went out on the highway, Highway 93 outside of Kalispell, and like was jumping out in the road <laughs> to scare people for no apparent reason other than just the same impulse that I had. Hey, wouldn't it be funny if I went out and scared people in a ghillie suit? But with you, you had it for a moment, just like, uh, hey, I could like climb this fence and jump off, you know? Right. You have that thought, but you don't do it. I didn't do it. But this um, guy. Randy Lee, probably bored. I mean, Kalispell's not the biggest town in Montana. Maybe opioids involved. Uh, he jumped out in the highway and was hit by a car. Run over by a 15-year-old girl. Uh, because in Montana, you can you have a learner's permit and drive at age 15. He was hit by a 15-year-old girl. He spun around in the road and then was hit a second time. By a 17-year-old girl and killed. I mean, it's the same as being killed by two 16-year-old girls. That's right. I mean, it averages out. And, uh, you know, probably, I mean, most people killed by teenage girls are killed by shame. I don't want to joke about this jackass because he ruined these two people's lives. Those those poor drivers have to think about that for years. She doesn't even have her driver's license and she's already killed a Bigfoot. And I'm... (laughs) And people can say, hey, like, this jackass had it coming. But still, you ran over some, you know, dumb yo-yo dressed in a 
Bigfoot outfit. I mean, think about me as a kid looking out the window and imagining Bigfoots in the in Skagit County. This girl's never going to drive in her own hometown without like being terrified that that a that a guy in a ghillie suit's going to jump out. If you're going to be scared of something, it's nice for it to be something that probably will never happen again. I mean, by the law of averages, <laughs> that's true. It's not going to happen to her twice. It really is like getting hit by lightning. And that concludes. Bigfoot Hoaxers, entry 120.2K0108, certificate number 17742, in the omnibus. Now, presumably, futurelings, uh, you come from a more enlightened time than us, so you'll have to forgive our use of social media. Uh, just for the record, we were at Omnibus Project on various social media platforms in our day. I was at Ken Jennings. John was at John Roderick. You could, uh, people would email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Uh, you could send us physical items to P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington. For example, in a recent entry, we mentioned uh, pogs and asked that no one send us pogs. And, uh, and as a result, Ralphie sent us uh, a bunch of pogs. Uh, show me a pog. It's just a cardboard circle. This one celebrates uh, National Semiconductor. It's a corporate pog. This one says You Matter. It's possibly some kind of inspirational pog. I'm not sure that it's... I'm not sure it's correct. I'm not sure I matter. Well, you'll agree with this one. Question authority, but listen to your parents. Yes. I'm going to hand that to my daughter immediately. So some of these, are, car- some of these are cardboard, and some of them are, have a little more... Pl- they're like kind of plasticky poker chips, like this one with some silvery street art. Let me see those. So pogs. you didn't believe that pogs were a thing, and now you have... This is like Bigfoot. You now have physical evidence of the existence Oh, yeah. Look pogs. at that. Some of these do seem like the type of thing you'd punch out of a magazine. Yeah. I don't like the cardboard ones. Jeff sent us the uh, newspaper piece on the death of uh, Maddie Marone. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. The Ambassador Bridge uh, uh, huckster who passed away earlier in the year uh, after we discussed them on the omnibus. Not our fault. And then I don't know what this is. Chris was interested because we mentioned RC Cola at one point. One of the great colas. And he, I mean, it's top three. He grew up a block away from a bottling facility, and in the 1970s, one of the workers gave him the preformed can, the sheet of aluminum that would be an RC Cola can. And at the time, apparently, RC Cola would have uh, baseball oh, oh, players. I remember, that. I remember that. Who? Which player is that? This is Amos Otis, Roy, early 70s Royals outfielder. Oh, and... Uh, an four-time All-Star. Why don't I? I have no you memory know of, the, of the career of Amos. Oh, there's a second one here. Let's see. Amos Otis has got great sideburns. This one is Andy Messersmith of the Braves. He had nothing like a 70s baseball card. Look at those. Andy Messersmith of the Braves. How cool are those? Also a three-time All-Star. And uh, presumably they agreed to to be, to be promote RC Cola for their Me and My RC promotion. Have you ever seen a, an aluminum can before, before being rolled or stamped or pressed I never or whatever. Have, but don't but don't don't squeeze them and bend them. They seem kind of delicate. Oh. I wouldn't wow, dream of it. Wow, those are really cool. How is it we've never seen these before? Does that mean we could see like if I saw a flattened coke can like that, I would freak out. I mean, the fact that they look like 
nothing I've ever seen before. A metal, a weird metal baseball card. Listen to that. That's the sound of RC Cola. That's the sound of me getting thirsty for a delicious RC Cola. That's the sound of the man working on the RC Cola. Thank you so much, Chris. We always enjoy unearthing all these oddities from well, now, the mailbox. If we're going to split these up, which one do you want? Amos Otis or Andy Messerschmidt? It's not Messerschmidt. Me- Messerschmidt. <laughs> if it was Messerschmidt, you would want it. Messerschmidt. What kind of a name is that? Andy Messerschmidt. What you're asking is, do I want the white guy or the black guy? Yeah. And that's a little bit loaded. Sorry. Well, well I'll take it offline. I'll take your answer <laughs> offline. Uh, so thank you, Chris. And... Uh, what else did we just open? Pog guy, Ralphie. Hey, thanks, Ralphie. Thank you, Chris and Ralphie. Uh, you can, uh, I mean, the, we love receiving 70s baseball players in flattened aluminum can form, but the more direct way to support the show is via Patreon. Yes. Um, and in fact, today's omnibus was a suggestion of a Patreon donor. Oh, no kidding. There is a certain level, the washing bear level of donation at which you can, uh, you can, request uh, a topic and isn't that something because bigfoot hoaxes seems like a topic that i would pick doesn't it i as soon as i saw it i was like this is a john show but then so was the cia iranian coup and you made me do that one so well this this is from russell ramsey who grew up in toledo washington and lived just a few blocks away from both the homesteads of ray wallace and rant mullins can you imagine can you imagine how exciting that would be uh, relative to the fact that nothing ever else happens in Toledo, Washington? He's got Bigfoot in his veins, and he has connections to both of us, by the way. Uh, like me, his great-great-grandfather was kicked out of Nauvoo in June of 1844. He has, he has Mormon polygamists in his family tree. And here's the story for you, and I'm not clear on how this works, but you, you tell me. John, remember when the Long Winters played the Doug Fur in Portland? Many times. I don't know which time. Multiple but, times. But you're, you're with him so far. Okay. And you started noodling some Judas Priest. Do you remember that? Sure. Uh, multiple times, probably. And then someone yelled, there's nothing gay about Judas Priest. I, that part I don't remember. It would be an odd heckle. A weird heckle. Especially if it's after Rob Alford came out. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure what. I mean, I, there are half a dozen uh, Judas Priest songs I could have been noodling, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember that exact moment. Russell says, yep, dot, 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 which I assume means he is confessing. Oh, there he is. To be the the guy guy yelling confusing (laughs) either gay pride slogans or gay slurs uh, in response to Judas Priest. Well, well done. (laughs) Well done for both things. Good job having the Mormon pioneer ancestor. Well done for heckling John. Those are two things I approve of. Uh, And if you would like to support the Patreon. You don't, you know, if you have a topic you'd like to submit, there is a level available to you. Uh, Even if you just like the show and want to feel part of the community to a tune of a few bucks a month, that is also available to you. Check out patreon.com slash omnibus project. And we're grateful for your support. Also, we are running out of January and that means you are running out of time to check out the two new monthly shirts we have up at mediocrity. Have you seen Have you seen this month's shirts? Joe? They're super cool. One of them is uh, is uh, a portrait of you and me, but in the Nagel style, a kind and of a, a nightmare inducing version of us in a Robert Palmer video. Super cool. And then the other one is uh, the Omnibus generic T shirt that looks like basically a, a tube of generic toothpaste. 
Right, playing off the generic food entry and and uh, fad of the '80s. It just says "Omnibus Podcast" with a barcode and some fun, uh, some fun generic style branding. Both are super cool. And, you know, this is part of our new project for this year. Uh, for every month, there to be two new t-shirt designs. Collect them all. Uh, just go to omnibusproject.com slash store. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived or increasingly whether we want it to. Uh, we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. Kind of contradicting what I just said. We're not sure you if can, we you hope contain and pray multitudes. that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.